You know, every guest that we have here this morning is very important to us, and we're so glad that you're here. But we want to take a minute and uh, recognize uh, some old friends that have come our way this morning. And uh, we as an eldership have done this a couple of times in the past, but we want to pray over this family that's come our way. Chris and Michael and Cannon and Austin, if y'all would come up here. We've got several new families in our church over the last two or three years, so let me say this for the benefit of all of us. Chris and Michael Bowen, come up here in the middle. Chris and Michael Bowen um, are a wonderful, part of a wonderful family here with kids that made a commitment to the Lord several years ago to dedicate their lives to God's service, to spread the news of Jesus. And for five years, this church supported this family in their work in Laos, communist Laos, and they ended that work uh, two and a half years ago or so. And during that period of time when they would come home on furlough were precious days with them in this church. Many friendships were made. Uh, they benefited us. I remember uh, Michael teaching classes, and just we had a special relationship with them and have continued to do so even though their work in Laos ended a couple, of, a couple of years ago. When they came home, they continued to focus on what could they do and what did God want them to do to continue to serve Him. And, as you can see, well, he's dressed a certain way. Michael is a chaplain in the U.S. Navy. And they have been at Camp Lejeune now for a couple of years. And they are doing fabulous work. Adrian and I were blessed a year and a half or so ago to go and visit with them. Chris is a part of um, uh, meetings and gatherings and Bible studies with other women. Michael has been serving um, in, a, in some tough situations. And he can't tell me much at all about all the situations he deals, deals with. But you and I both know the kind of stress that is out there in our military and uh, his work has been wonderful. And if you know Michael very well, you can picture how good he is at it and how Chris, she's supportive of it as well. They will be going to Japan in December for at least two and a half years. This is something they've been praying for for quite a while. This is what they wanted. But they will be serving, my, Michael will be serving as a chaplain in the Navy uh, stationed in Japan for the next two and a half years. And, uh, and we can imagine the blessing that there'll be for our country and for our servicemen in that area. Um, we're gonna, Wade's going to lead a prayer over them with us. We did this a couple of times before, and it meant a lot to us, and I'm sure it did to them too, with you all praying with us. I asked Michael earlier if he wanted to say anything. And he said, I don't know. I'll see if the Spirit moves me. Well... I do not want to hog the microphone. You've been generous to let us speak on many occasions. But it feels wrong to have an opportunity to glorify God and say thank you and to miss it. Uh, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be glory and honor forever and ever. It's a passage that's meant a lot to me. Uh, this is the God that you taught me to worship here as a child the third pew in the balcony and in the hallways and in the classrooms. Uh, and you've continued to teach me about faithfulness through the years. Um, thank you for being faithful to me as a child, faithful to us when we were missionaries in Laos. 
to put it in perspective, Austin was born when we first moved here uh, to partner with you in Laos. She turns nine on Saturday. Uh, thank you for your continued faithfulness and for teaching us so much through the years and for honoring us to pray for us this morning. I also want to thank you uh, for the lesson of seeking a wife like the one in Proverbs 31. That's been a lesson that's paid off through the years as well. Thank you all. We love you. Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you, Michael, Chris, Cannon, and Austin, Father, as we have done so many times. And Father, we pray that you will hold them in the hollow of your hand. Father, we pray for, for Michael's work as he ministers to the, uh, to the naval personnel that he comes in contact with. And Father, we pray that he will strengthen the faith of those who are your believers and that he will lead others to Christ. Father, we pray for them as a family in the community where they live that they will show Christ to others. And as they have opportunity that they will teach Christ to others and lead them to you. Father, we pray that you will use them as you see fit, and we want to see them again. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. I know how much we all love it when Randy is in our pulpit on a Sunday. We're blessed, certainly, by him and Celia, but these few days they're taking to rest. We're glad for that, and they're taking these days to visit with children and grandchildren. So we don't have Randy today, but we do have an excellent uh, replacement today uh, that will be, I think, will be a blessing to us all. Eric Trigestad joined the staff of the Christian Chronicle in 2001. After working as a writer and assistant editor for the Savannah Morning News in Georgia, in the past two decades, he's traveled to more than 80 countries, reporting on churches of Christ. He became the Chronicle's president and CEO. In 2019, he grew up in Macon, Georgia, at the Southside Church of Christ, in parentheses, where Joe Bedwell taught him how to lead singing. <laughs> They're with us this morning. And graduated from Lipscomb University in Nashville in 1996. He earned his master's in journalism from the University of Georgia in 1999. Eric is a deacon at the Memorial Road Church of Christ in Oklahoma City, where he met his wife, Jeannie. Dr. Jeannie Trigestad is a pediatric endocrinologist and attending physician for the Children's Hospital at, Ohio, at the Oklahoma University Medical Center. She's also a frequent teacher of Bible classes for children. The Trigestads have two daughters, Maggie, 14, and Lucy, 9. Um, I've gotten to know Eric a, a little bit over the last several months, and... Um, uh, and have enjoyed his association. And I will say about the Christian Chronicle, if you read it or if you don't, I've been asked before, why do you read it, John? And, uh, and my answer for me is this. The Christian Chronicle has is is often told me I'm not alone. I'm not alone. If you want to go, if you're having a bad day or a bad time and you think that things are pretty bad, you can go to the Christian Chronicle and you could find stories and situations of Christians around our earth and in our, around the globe and our, even in our own country that are suffering, going through natural disasters, churches that are uh, having difficulties that I'm often, that I'm not, uh, don't have to have. And the Christian Chronicle lets me know I'm not alone. If you want to see in uh, situations 
in churches around the globe that are wonderful, where there's growth, where there's joy, where there's ideas for doing things uh, as a church uh, to help ourselves. The Christian Chronicle has also provided that for me and told me that I'm not alone. So we're blessed to have Eric with us. I see Eric as an instrument for God. He is the one that's leading an effort to provide information to help us in churches of Christ to know what is going on with each other. Again, to gain ideas and to also give us things to pray for as a church as well. So, Eric? I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Oklahoma. And if any of you saw our annual Red River rivalry with Texas yesterday, you'll understand why I'm glad to not be in the state of Oklahoma today. <laughs> Woo! Um, that was rough. So, uh, pleasure to be with you. Uh, great to be back here uh, where I've spent so many years in college and uh, not too far from where I grew up. So, thank you for the invitation to speak. I appreciate it. Randy has been talking about flood stage events. I believe that was the topic of last week's sermon, and I appreciated that message so much when I streamed it. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, especially one of the points that he hit about how God uses these as opportunities to show that he's in control and that we are not and to show that he can work through us. And if you read the Old Testament, you just see that over and over because God seems to delight in taking people that society has cast aside and using them to fulfill his purpose. Uh, I was reading through the Old Testament doing a, a Bible in a Year program, and it occurs to me that one of the worst things that you can be in the Old Testament is, is the firstborn. It never seems to work out well for them when you think about it. They're, they're giving away their inheritance for, a ball, you know, for, for porridge and stuff like that, and it just never seems to work out well for them. It's always the people that aren't supposed to make a difference that God uses to make a difference. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the context of the flood stage events that have gone on around the world for the last few years. And if you go to the next slide, you'll kind of see that represented by my crude attempt at a graphic representation of a mask around the world. I don't know that I pulled it off, but that uh, we're talking about the global pandemic and the way that it shut everything down. It affected our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, I stopped traveling, obviously. We weren't able to do uh, much, but it was even worse. If you go on to the next slide, in Africa there, that is a sister up in the Turkana region of Kenya holding two locusts. There was a locust plague, literally, <laughs> um, going on in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and it destroyed their crops, and even now they're dealing with drought. You can go into the next slide and see one of our brothers in Kampala, Uganda, reacting to the smell that these things put off when they are uh, going through one of their feeding frenzies, and it's uh, pretty disgusting. You can go into the next one there, and you can see Dennis Okoth, who is one of the Christians that I talked to about what is going on and how they were making it through both the global pandemic and the locust epidemic at the same time. You can see his quote on the next slide here. The locust invasion and now COVID-19 have basically turned the lives of people upside down. Because of the lockdowns, people are looking inward to their personal relationship with God, and false spiritualists who used to dupe people with fake miracles have vanished into thin air. In Africa, there's a saying that at the end of life, the rich and the poor are buried in the same size of grave. And how true is that? You can go into the next slide there. More and more, our African brethren, a lot of whom see the United States as a great financial savior of the world and that nothing can go wrong here, suddenly realize that we were dealing with this epidemic the same as they were. In some cases, it almost seemed like the wealthier countries 
were hit harder by the global pandemic. This was eye-opening for a lot of our African brothers and sisters, and they said they're seeing the truth in the saying as they follow the news from Europe and the U.S. So that's why Brother Okoth said, uh, people are realizing that we are equal, irrespective of our stations in life. The West is coming to terms with the reality that guns and missiles cannot protect human life, but God can and always has. It reminded me of this verse from James. Uh, it's one of the more challenging verses in Scripture when James is talking to the early church and says, Believers in humble circumstances, the poor, right, ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So the message here is if you don't have money, don't worry because you're going to get to suffer a lot and consider it pure joy, right? As he says at the beginning of James, when you face these trials and tribulations. And if you do have money, don't worry about that. You're in the low position, according to James, uh, because chances are it's all going to melt away anyway. Just look at what the stock market's doing right now, right? And so this is a message. You're, you're going to get to suffer too, so rejoice in that. I have a hard time getting there with James, but that is kind of what we saw with this global pandemic, and it's equalizing uh, ways that it worked around so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can go to the next slide there, and you'll see a picture of Brother Okoth in his office. He mentioned how false spiritualists were coming to Christ. He knows about this firsthand. His life story is absolutely amazing. He was raised by a traditional healer in his village who was like the village chief. And when he became a Christian, his father did not like it at all and decided that he needed to have his son killed. So he hired a witch doctor who literally tied Brother Okoth to a tree and injected him with some sort of horse tranquilizer is all he knew. And he languished on the tree. I think, it, I think it took about three days, is what he said. He felt his tongue swell to the roof of his mouth. He passed out multiple times, but he did not die. And he was able to recover and, and get away from that tree and walk back into his village. Can you imagine the testimony that he had as he walked back into that village? And they said, that is Okult's son who was dead. And here he is back again. The whole village ended up converting, including his father who died after uh, he was baptized. So uh, amen for that story. It's just one of the many things I get to cover. And it was one of the things that we saw throughout the global pandemic is these stories just kind of still sustained us. So we go ahead and see that God is still at work in the midst of the pandemic. You probably remember all the stuff we went through, though. Uh, you can go on to that next slide there and see these are some of our brothers and sisters in Thailand who are having to do temperature checks before they go into service. The next one shows one of our uh, missionaries in, I believe this is uh, eastern Slovakia, conducting a uh, web session with some of the brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know how many Zoom Bible classes you guys had to sit in on over the last couple of years and worry about what whether or not your mic was on or not, but that's just a, a something that went on around the world. Uh, the next slide shows me doing an interview with some of our brothers and sisters in India who were responding to the second wave of COVID that came during 2021. And of course, I had to do virtual interviews instead of getting to go on location, which challenges. I was able to get out a little bit, though. If you'll go on to the next slide, you'll see a picture of me attempting to lead the VBS song, Father Abraham, for a group of kids in the Dominican Republic while wearing a mask. Not, not a good idea. That, that song requires a lot of wind. So there, uh, it, it didn't, didn't exactly go well. I, I didn't pass out, but came close to it. 
And when I traveled, I was able to make a couple of trips in 2021, but you can go into the next slide and see. It required me to get COVID tested, in this case, under a mango tree in the parking lot of a hospital in the Dominican Republic. And you can go to the next slide there and see that he's actually using the chair I was sitting on to do the little thing where we nervously wait to see if they're going to let us on the plane to get home. It was so hard. Things, things during the pandemic were just so hard for us to get used to, and we had to change. And in a lot of ways, we're still coming coming back from that, right? Um, in our congregation, the Memorial Road Church of Christ, where I worship, has about 2,400 members, and we had to put tape on the pews to tell people where to sit and where not to sit. Bible classes were virtual, and um, we had to use the, the rip and sip <laughs> communion, and we're still doing that there. And, and uh, the, the stuff that we use the, the bread, I'm telling you, it must be styrofoam, right? It's just, you know, it's, it's tough. And in the middle of that, I wasn't traveling, so I needed to do something. So I, would, uh, I, would, I decided I would go out and walk. I decided every time I scrolled through Facebook and saw a comment that made me angry, instead of responding, I would get out and walk. It was very effective, and, and leading up to the election in 2020, I was getting about 20,000 steps in before lunch a lot of times. So... I also decided I needed to do something. I needed to make the most of my time. So I listened to uh, the Bible being read through a Bible in a Year program. And the great thing about doing a program like that uh, is you get to hear a lot of parts of Scripture that, that don't get quoted a lot. And that was the case with this uh, next slide there you'll see. We're going to be talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. So you're in Joshua right now. We're actually going to move forward uh, quite a bit of time to the age of this kind of combined story of Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in the Old Testament. The first one is named Ezra, but in fact, if you'll go into the next slide there, you'll see the first six chapters actually revolve around a guy named Zerubbabel that brought the exiles back, and he is rebuilding Jerusalem and starting to lay the foundation and rebuild the temple. Now, you know how Hebrew history goes here. For those of you, you're, you're studying Joshua, I hate to give spoilers too far ahead, but I think you probably know the story that eventually the kingdom's going to be established. Uh, the kingdom of Israel that's going to be going good and that's going to really reach its zenith under King David and then his son King Solomon. And even today, as I'm going to talk about in a minute, they look back to that time as really being the, the glory days of the kingdom, as King David in the temple. Even today they do that. The kingdom then splits after Solomon has, is it Jeroboam or Rehoboam? Rehoboam is, is Solomon's son, and then another guy called Jeroboam splits the kingdom. So there's a northern kingdom of Israel, there's a southern kingdom of Judah. We followed that through the Old Testament. Uh, the kings of the north are not good at all. I believe if you read Chronicles and the, the books that come after the time of the divided kingdom, you'll see about 20 kings for each of the northern and southern kingdoms. In terms of bad kings or, or good kings to bad kings, None of them in the northern kingdom are described as good. They're like 0 and 20 on that. And then in the southern kingdom, I think their record is something like 8 and 12 for good kings to bad kings. If they were a football team, they wouldn't even make a bowl game with those numbers, right? So it, it finally, God is, is they, they kind of come in and they fall away from God. They, they come back to God, they fall away from God. Finally, God takes, lets them be taken into captivity. So there's the Babylonian captivity. They're coming back from that now, and they're rebuilding the temple. The temple foundation is laid, and this is where we come in at the next slide, which has a verse for today, which is Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 10. This is when they decide they're going to have a big celebration 
that they finally laid the foundation of the temple. They're coming back. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and with the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord and prescribed by David, king of Israel. Again, reverence to David, right? With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love endures forever. And the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But, (laughs) verse 12 has a but, Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. So when I first read this, I thought, well, maybe these are tears of joy, that they're so happy to see the foundation of the temple being laid. But you can actually read some contemporary writings from uh, one of the prophets at the time, Haggai, and you'll see if you go on to the next slide there, that they are weeping because they remember how great things used to be. And if you look at the contemporary prophet Haggai, who's around at this time, I've got a verse from him on the next slide there. This is from Haggai chapter 2, another uh, book of the Bible that we just don't quote a lot. You don't see a lot taken out of Haggai, but there's some really... Great material in here, speaking of the time of Zerubbabel. So Haggai, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. Speak to uh, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of the people. Ask them, in verse 3, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And as I'm going through this daily Bible reading and coming across these verses of people lamenting because things weren't as good as they used to be, I'm thinking, preach it, brother, because there is tape on the pews. And I'm not in my Bible class. I'm not able to leave the country. I mean, are things ever going to get back to the way that they were? And even today, a lot of our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ across this country, they are struggling right now. The numbers are not coming back for a lot of them, especially in smaller rural congregations. The pandemic hit church attendance hard, and getting people to come back and be involved again is so difficult. So we think about that tape on the pews as I read this. It's just not the same as it was. Here's how Haggai responds. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. That's in verse 4, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. So, yeah, things may not be as good as they were before, but you have to continue the work. Don't worry about that. What is ahead? What can you do with this remnant that you have left? And I think that is the question throughout a lot of Christianity right now. What can we do with what we have right now? And can we focus on the work? You'll go on to the next slide. I'm going to show you just a couple pictures from uh, a press tour I did of Israel back in 2016, uh, visiting the Dead Sea and then Jerusalem there. You can go on to the next slide. You can see some Orthodox Jews getting a smoothie in the market there. It's interesting when you go and visit Israel, we're very familiar with the problems in Israel, right? The division between... Uh, the, the Israelis and the Arabs, the Palestinians and the Israelis, those conflicts have been well documented. There's also a lot of tension among different groups in Judaism itself. The Reformed Jews and then the Orthodox Jews and then there's some group called the Ultra-Orthodox and they kind of uh, spar with each other a little bit about the, the best way to run 
this country because some they're, they're, they, they want to run their lives under a certain framework, biblical framework. And uh, so there's a lot of tension in, the, in Israel that even goes beyond the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. And I found that absolutely interesting. This is exemplified, if you'll go to the next slide, uh, by one of the uh, holiest places uh, in, in Judaism, uh, the Wailing Wall. Have any of you ever visited Israel before and gone up to the Wailing Wall? It's the foundation of the temple. And those stones still have so much meaning that you'll see Orthodox Jews up there with their prayer books Kind of rocking back and forth. This is a they say prayers. They'll write down prayers and they'll put them into the cracks of this foundation of the old temple. And then you see that whole separate stairway, which is specifically for Muslims to get up to the Dome of the Rock, which was built right on the site. And it is something like the third holiest shrine in is uh, in Islam. So that kind of shows the division that's there and the kind of longing. Sometimes it almost seems to communicate to me with this. This was once the great temple. And so we're still, are, are we still worshiping at these foundations? You know, I think that might be a good question for us to ask. There's so much nostalgia even uh, that I found in Israel. I'm just going to tell you real quick this next slide. Um, you know how airlines have like uh, silver platinum statuses and things like that? El Al, the Israeli airline, I found out, if you make their top tier, you get to go in the King David Club, uh, which is a lounge. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. There's still so much reverence for the way things used to be and for King David. And I think we get caught up in that a lot, too. Did this happen, though, for these folks who are reestablishing this temple as they're trying to rebuild coming out of this long period of isolation as they rebuild? Then we'll see Ezra come along after uh, after Zerubbabel and try and reinstate the law and then we see Nehemiah come on and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Did this work? And if you'll go into the next slide you'll see the answer is we, we don't think so because in the final book of Nehemiah he comes back after being away for a time and finds that the temple's being neglected, people are out working on the Sabbath and they're within the sites of the walls that he helped construct you read those last chapters of Nehemiah, and it's actually really depressing. And he keeps kind of crying out to God. You know, he gets mad. He starts pulling people's hair out. He tries to get them back in line. And he says, his, his, he cries out to God. And if I had to summarize his prayer, it's almost like, you know, I tried, God. But the people's hearts were not in the right place. They had the physical construction of restoration. But restoration needed to happen in their hearts and if you look throughout the old testament prophets that said over and over again that i'm going to give you a new heart so what can we do in the interim there are we going to try and build back what was before and and follow these folks lessons the important thing though about this what's interesting about this is we studied this recently at my church uh, is that this still does set the foundation for something greater that is to come. And that is even hinted at in the book of Haggai, if you'll go on to the next slide. Because he didn't just leave the message, okay, I know this isn't as good as it used to be, but just forget about that and work. That is not the entirety of Haggai's message to the people of Israel. Here's the rest of it, starting in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord God Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord God Almighty. The glory of this present house 
will be greater than the glory of this former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord God Almighty. Yes, the new temple that you're building may seem to pale in comparison to what you remember, but I'm here to tell you that something even better than that old temple is coming. And I think we all know what that is, right? In fact, here we are in October, so I'm sure you've already heard some Christmas carols on the radio or you're going to start hearing them everywhere. Uh, If you're familiar with uh, the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's a line in there, Come, desire of nations, come. This, I believe, is where that comes from. What is desired by all nations will come. Something better is coming. Jesus is coming. So hold on and work with what you have to work with. And don't worry that it doesn't seem like enough. Don't worry that this seems like a flood stage in your life because something better is coming. And this is precisely the time when God can use you. We saw God used throughout the pandemic. I have a few more examples to show there. Uh, In rural Kenya, a, a program that used to bring kids in and feed them, Christian Relief Fund, went out into the villages and they said, we became Amazon. We delivered directly to the villages. We're feeding entire families and families were very thankful for it because they weren't able to work because of the lockdowns. Going to the next slide, you'll see the same thing happened in India. In the next slide there, you'll see some of the folks I talked to over Zoom feeding orphans. And in the next picture, you'll see preachers with a Bible in one hand and a bag of rice in the other to take to their village. Praise God for what was going on there. You'll also see that people got to do home Bible studies. That was one in the Philippines, similar to what a lot of us did here. I think the next slide has that as well. And then on the final slide here, you'll see this is me and my buddy Patrick Boynes, principal of the British Bible School, participating in an international conference. And the last night was talent night. And this is us doing the dead parrot sketch. I really kind of forgot I put that photo in there, but we're just going to roll with it. This photo is me and Audrey uh, Jackson, our associate editor, getting suited up in uh, Hudicalpa, Honduras, to go into the COVID ward, where a medical ministry associated with our fellowship was providing chaplains to talk to these guys. You can go and see the inside of this ward, and you talk about a place of hopelessness. Uh, and, and the next photo shows people, you know, hooked up to tubes there. And next you can see the preacher who's there, and he's praying, and it was so humid in this, uh, this COVID ward, y'all. It was just backed up into the old children's ward, and you could see this guy's goggles just fogging up as he prayed. I'm trying to take notes. I've got gloves on, and I've got sweat collecting in pools at the bottom of my gloves, but I was, you know, we were a little terrified to go into a COVID unit. You can go into the next slide there, and these, uh, these preachers who are healthy go in there all the time and preach. And I said, are you a little scared to do that? And he didn't understand the question. He said, no, they're asking for me to do that. I said, yes, I know that, but are you scared? And it was like, that didn't make sense. They are asking me to come in there and pray with them. Why on earth would I not do that? So I was really inspired by the faith of these uh, ministers that are going in and praying with folks in the COVID ward in Hudakalpa. Last slide there takes us back to the Wailing Wall. This is what I want to close with because of all the stories I heard during the pandemic, one of the most inspiring that I heard actually came out of this turbulent, divided country known as Israel. Because as COVID started to take hold there, you can go on to the next one. You talk about pray the peace of Jerusalem and how difficult it is for that to happen. You can go on to the next slide there. As COVID started to take hold, 
They were, had all these tourist hotels in Tel Aviv, Israel, that weren't being used. So they used those as kind of a COVID recovery center for people that were sick but not sick enough to need to go to the hospital. Can you imagine what happens when you take Jews and Arabs and Orthodox and Reformed Jews and you just stick them all into the same hotel to recover? What on earth is going to happen? Well, what happened is absolutely amazing. The young woman that you see kind of in the middle of that photo there, her name is Aisha. She's from a Bedouin tribe, and she was a janitor at a hospital. She decided to sit down and have dinner with, an orth- with a Jewish family. And this would not happen in regular context, right? Out in regular society in Israel, this wouldn't happen. She sat down, had dinner uh, with them. They started laughing together. They started coughing together, and they recovered together, and she took a picture and, and put it up on Instagram. And then more photos on Instagram started to pop up from this hotel, the Dan Hotel, um, which has a very nice pool, I'm told. Uh, this this hotel, Photos kept popping up in this hotel of Muslims and Jews doing something called Zumba together and stuff like that and uh, having dinner together. And then when they, it was time for them to celebrate the Passover Seder, uh, they were going to make a division so that the Orthodox Jews who don't like cameras and don't want phones in there could have one section and then the Reformed Jews that want to take photos and put them to Instagram could have the other section. They all came in there. They said, this is a feast. This is a shared thing. They moved that partition away. Aisha came to it. They invited Muslims to be part of this Passover Seder. It's amazing what happened. When people got well, they didn't want to leave the Dan Hotel, partly because I told you they have a very nice pool. But I think there was more to it than that because outside those walls is a divided community. But inside the Dan Hotel are people recovering together and the differences are melting away. And brothers and sisters, I heard that story and said, that is the church. That is what we are supposed to be. Because the world, especially right now, wants to tear itself apart across lines of ethnicity, along socioeconomic lines, along political lines, right? But within these walls, this is a house of healing where all of us together are in recovery from the pandemic of sin. And maybe that's the message that we need to hear going forward as we emerge from this pandemic, as we look toward the future. Can we be A house of healing where people of all different walks of life can come together broken and heal together, realizing that we all face these fledged stage events together. And in these walls, we can heal together because this, the people here, you are the church. So that's the message that I kind of want to leave you with. By the way, we also have a pool here, like the Dan Hotel, right? Um which is my segue to say uh, if anyone has not become a part of this family, has not been baptized for the remission of sins, then we invite you to come forward now as we offer this invitation. We also want to invite anyone that has prayer needs or anything that the elders of this congregation can uh, do for you, pray for you. Please bring those requests forward now as we stand and sing.